When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's Friday. It's time for a new Fenway Rundown, the second one of the week. I think it's been an extremely slow Red Sox week here, but as opposed to, to the jam-packed action yeah, leading up to it. Exactly. That's Sean McAdam. I'm Chris Cotillo with another Fenway Rundown, our second of the week. And it's a mailbag edition. I've said time and time again, we no longer take questions from Twitter or X. Thank you, Elon Musk. We take them all from our Insider Text program. We have 27 today to get to. There's going to be some overlap, but... We appreciate all the conversation on the Insider Text platform. You get exclusive access to us, and Sean will tell you how. Absolutely, Chris. It's an opportunity, as you noted, to supply questions on our occasional mailbag episodes. But it's also a way to receive breaking Red Sox news first and to be able to exchange ideas, questions, comments, suggestions with me, with Chris Cotillo and Chris Smith. And to do that, all you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257, then click the link to subscribe. You get a 14-day trial period. After that, it is the affordable $4.99 per month cost. We think it is well worth it, humbly speaking. So generally, people go on there, ask us questions, and we get back to them on the app and text them back. And But when we do a mailbag episode, we do the answers on here. It's a fun way to stay interactive and to see what the pulse of the audience is uh, really thinking about. And <laughs> this week it's vitriol and Kenley Jansen rumors, and that's about it. But there are some good questions on here. We'll try to get to as many as possible. If you asked a question and I don't say your name, uh, generally it's because you have the same question as others. And so I'm going quick, trying to click through everything. We appreciate all 27 of you who chimed in and the rest of everybody who subscribes and didn't ask a question here. So, Sean, we will start with this because we have, as I mentioned, a lot of uh, talk about one specific thing. That is the fact that the Kenley, that Kenley Jansen might be traded. We've talked about that. And we'll start with David Barrasso, who chimes in with this. Are the Sox still shopping Kenley? Call me a dreamer, but I see a plausible scenario where they move him for prospects, cut the $16 million, give Martin a Hauk a chance to close. Then you can make the case that Montgomery is only costing you 12 or $14 million in 2024. A few other people asking about Kenley. I think we both think he's a trade candidate, as we've talked about before. I will caution that a lot of people are doing the if A, then B thing when it comes to Jansen and Jordan Montgomery. I'm not at a point right now where... I even think that it's certain that they move Jansen for another big addition. I think they could move him just to move him and not supplement him with another high-paid player. Yeah, I, I agree, Chris. I, I think they're not, they are, there may not be linkage there, that this may be simply a matter of spending more money more efficiently in their estimation. And it could be, if we're being super optimistic, it could be to give them some wiggle room in July if they are surprisingly in the race and want to take on additional salary there. They may know that the mandated payroll limit is in the low 200 millions. Right now, they're at about 202. They've done nothing since getting to that point. And who knows whether... Uh, they may also be looking uh, to to stay there. So it's possible that there could be a trade of Kenley Jansen without the money being reallocated immediately, but rather put on reserve in the event, as I said, however unlikely it may seem looking at what they have, 
that they find themselves in the playoff race in July, and this gives them some room to take on a salary to improve then. Um, I would say that, you know, without knowing exactly what's on Craig Breslow's mind, that it's probably they've made it, you know, and this gets into some semantics. I wouldn't say they are desperate or intent on moving Jansen, but they have certainly communicated to teams that he is available and that all offers will be considered. What they'd be looking for, we don't know. It's unlikely they're going to get a young starter who could contribute in 2024 in exchange for Jansen. Um, although, look, the Kansas City Royals did it last year, right? And they did it later. They did mm-hmm. it after the season started in, I think, late May, maybe early June, when they sent Chapman uh, to Texas. The Rangers were bleeding late-inning leads. They needed a veteran presence there, and they gave up a pretty good young starting pitcher to get him. No. Uh, you cool know, Raggins. I would imagine that the, the Red Sox – uh, would aspire to something like that, but I don't know that. I mean, to me, Kenley Jansen is a much more, in every way possible, is a much better investment for a team looking for a closer than Araldus Chapman was. But maybe that was a desperate team that had invested big in the offseason and saw their season going off the rails and decided to get a closer at almost any cost. Maybe that can't be replicated again this time around. But it's worth noting that it's happened pretty recently. I, I think it's more likely that you get a, you know, a pretty good prospect, not a blue chip, not a top 50 prospect, but a guy with some upside that you could see contributing in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a couple of points here. We've said time and time again, this just makes sense from the Red Sox perspective of that's uh, an area of the roster that's strong, even without Jansen, you know, Hauk and Whitlock. Are, and Winkowski are competing for starting rotation jobs, but assuming two of them, or if they add somebody, three of them end up in the bullpen, you pair those guys with Martin, with Bernardino, with Schreiber. Like, you have a lot of guys in the back end that can still get the job done. I personally like Hauk as a potential closer. We saw him do it a couple years ago. This will be, I think, on a sliding scale with Jansen. It's the same type of thing. We talked about with Chris Sale, I used the uh, booking a hotel room with money and points and kind of deciding how much you want to dip into the points and how much you want to pay. That's, That's something very, that your average listener can really relate to. It's a baseball writers thing. Definitely. Uh, Marriott Bonvoy program. Sign up now. Not a sponsor, but should be. I think that it's kind of the same thing where, you know, the Red Sox got Grissom and X amount of salary relief where they could have, you know, if they paid the whole contract, they could have gotten probably a better player from Atlanta. If they paid none of the contract, you know, you know how it works. There's all that that goes into it. Jansen is owed 16 million. And so it will be, do we pick up everything and get a better prospect or do we pick up nothing and use it for salary dump? We saw it with the David Price inclusion in the Mookie Betts trade. That's what goes into teams thinking. The last point I'll make here, and we'll move on to another couple related questions is, that market's moving. We've seen that very much over the last week. You know, Hader and Stevenson came off a week ago. Hader to Houston. Stevenson David to Robertson Angels. yesterday. Yep, three AL West teams adding back-end uh, relief help. Robertson to the Rangers, Hader to the Astros, Stevenson to the Angels. Aroldis Chapman got $10.5 million from the Pirates. Matt Moore got $9 million from the Angels, who are trying to build up that bullpen. And, you know, I think that, you know, you're seeing the free agents start to move, which makes the trade market – um, naturally start to pick up because there's fewer guys available. That brings us to a question from Pete W. who asked, who let, are the most... Let, Chris, let me interrupt for yeah. one minute just to add to the Jansen thing, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, These are we, more, Jansen, more Jansen questions coming, too. Okay, but uh, I wonder, too, you know, we're focusing on the bottom line here, whether they need to get under $200 million, whether they want to give themselves some breathing room for in-season acquisitions, we're looking at it through the prism of spending. What if it is instead Red Sox baseball ops saying, look, let's be realistic. We're not going to contend this year. Mm-hmm. And having a relatively expensive at $16 million allocation for a closer Older. is not the most efficient use. And if we're not going to be in the race, if we're going to try to win 80 or 82 games, as a logical stepping stone from where we've been, then we'd rather uh, have some future talent that will build toward 25 and on when we expect to be 
a, a better quality team, more involved in the playoff hunt. It, it could be argued that a bad team or at least a mediocre one does not really need a lockdown closer. And this is a good opportunity to try some others for that role in the future and to stockpile some other areas that need improvement instead, prioritizing that over the fact that, you know, you may only have 30 or 35 save opportunities for an entire season on a mediocre club. Segwaying on more details on Jansen, you wrote about this a couple weeks ago. Pete W. asking, who do you think the most likely trade partners are for Jansen? What kind of deal you, can you get for them? Sean, I know you've we've both thought the Dodgers make a lot of sense. He obviously has a lot of history there. Um, you know, the Rangers made some sense. They went out and got Robertson. You know, as I said, the Angels added, the Astros added. So the pool shrinks a little bit. Um, a team that popped up yesterday looking for back-end bullpen help as they look to kind of charge toward contention is the Royals. There were some trade scenarios being thrown about yesterday when it came to the Red Sox, the Royals, and Kenley Jansen. Can you imagine the Royals taking on money from the Red Sox and a partial salary dump and what that would do narrative-wise? Yeah, and, and it's not just the taking on salary. It's the Royals trying to win yep. because they're in, let's face it, a pretty mediocre division. The Twins have kind of ruled that division, but they have lost uh, some key parts this year. They are down in terms of their spending because of the uncertainty of their TV contract and that situation. The fact that the Royals are looking to add a piece to make them playoff contenders and to get that player from the Red Sox, put aside the money. It's the fact that the Royals are trying to get better and win a division and the Red Sox are unloading with an eye toward the future. Talk about role reversal. Yep, exactly. And, you know, I think people <laughs> talk about the Royals or, you know, the Pirates as your classic mid-market, low-market, you know, below small market teams, I should say. And obviously, they won a World Series less than 10 years ago. But just that perception industry-wide of like, hey, the, the Royals are going for it. They're signing a bunch of guys, including a couple former Red Sox and Waka and Renfro. They outbid the Red Sox for Lugo. It's uh, it's funny, and I think it just kind of feeds that narrative that the Red Sox are trying to avoid but can't with their own actions. Charlie Kernan asks, will the Red Sox deal Jansen, Martin, or Yoshida? And why do you think contract extensions for Cora, Casas, and Bayo have been non-existent? We touched on Jansen. I think I would look into trading Martin because it, it's the same kind of function as a luxury for a team that projects to be mediocre. And I think his value would be sky high after the season he had. My feeling is that if they shopped Yoshida, they would probably find out that his value is not that high. And um, I think of the, of the trio, Jansen's most likely to go. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think there's a reason why we have not heard Martin's name at all. Uh, some of it may be financial. He's not making the kind of money that Jansen is. Some of it may be a reflection of his age. He's a couple of years older uh, than Kenley, uh, you know, with some physical issues, as Jansen has had. Um, but I just think that there isn't that obvious trade value, even for a premier setup guy, which Martin has been. Uh, through most of his 30s, um, you know, the, the, you do have options. Uh, I think you could make a pretty good case that the the Martin free agent equivalent on the market that just left would be a guy like Robertson. Um, so there are still options out there at reasonable numbers without having to give up anything in a trade. But for whatever reason, we have not heard Martin's name at all. Uh, Yoshida was known to be out there and the Red Sox were at least willing to discuss. But as you hinted at, it may be that whatever they heard from teams probably all resulted in, well, you'd have to take some money back that team yeah. telling the Red Sox that no, no team signing that guy for four years and 72. If he's on the open market right now, that's just a fact. Correct. I, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it sits as a, oh my God, what a lousy contract. And they're yeah. stuck with this guy. But he's more of a he's more of a you know thirteen or fourteen million dollar a year player than he is an eighteen million a year player, and maybe they don't want to get into the process of uh, taking some of that money back. The other part of Charlie's question: Why do you think no contract extensions for Cora, Casas, and Bayo? Obviously, two different buckets there with Cora. I think Breslow wants to see him manage a year and figure it out from there. We've talked a lot about his free agency. With Casas and Bayo, the financial situation I reported yesterday, nothing for Casas. I believe it's the same with Bayo. 
those things usually don't happen until spring training. But do you see with the trying to cut payroll that being on the table or how do you see that playing out? You mean extending uh, pre-arb guys? They're trying to, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think um, the situation is always the same here. The team, this was going to be true under Heim Bloom. It's going to remain true under Craig Breslow. The team has to feel it's getting a win here. And if it isn't, uh, at least for the time being, where these guys are not even yet arbitration eligible in the case of Bayo and Casas, you know, they're happy to pay uh, Tristan Casas $2 million next year up from what, you know, the 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 900000 or a million he's going to make this year. Um, so there's no immediate urgency to that. It's more of a long-term thing. Maybe this is one of those things that they're going to revisit as they build up and get ready to contend in 25. But it may also be a calendar thing. As you correctly point out, a lot of those deals get done in February once teams are through roster building and, importantly, through the arbitration process. And here's something that I want to bring up that I was having a conversation with someone who would know yesterday. And I gave this theory and was told I was 100% correct. Does Tristan Casas, with his personality, seem like the type of guy who's going to say, I don't want to bet on myself year to year. I'm going to take a pre-arb deal and potentially limit future earnings. Personality-wise, he would seem like the least likely person ever to do that. I mean, and I, I don't like if there's the right offer on the table, maybe. But like if anybody spent 10 seconds with him, they'll realize that this is the type of guy who is already has his eye on free agency. You know, just like look how he tweets, he talks, he acts. It's good confidence. I don't think it comes off as, you know, overly cocky. And he obviously backed it up last year. But this looks like a guy who is not going to really take a low ball offer seriously. Although he did, right, not a low ball offer, but he did signal at winter weekend of 23 that he would be open to any approach and really never got one. Now, that was before he enjoyed some success at the major league level. It's before he overcame a nightmarish start in April and May to have a good enough season to finish third in the American League Rookie of the Year balloting. I think you're right. I think he expects huge things for himself. I think he sees himself as a future perennial all-star, as a guy that's going to hit 35-plus homers and knock in 100 every year and be part of the face of the Red Sox going forward. Um, so we're, we're at loggerheads here a little bit, right? The Red Sox will only do a deal that they think benefits them over the next five, six, seven years. And conversely, and as it should be, Casas is thinking the same thing. Yeah, I'll sign some of my free agency away because teams want to get at least a year, if not two, of free agency bought out as part of their reward for giving a long-term deal to a young player. So it's hard to get to that spot where both sides feel like I, I, I got a fair deal here. I, I maximized my earnings or in the team's perspective, we limited our liability that there, there's a very small sweet spot for everybody to be happy. And it's not easily reached. And it's hard, really, for teams to lose those deals. Just look at Garrett Whitlock's. If you look at the last couple of years Garrett Whitlock has had, you'd be like, you know, uh, they probably shouldn't have extended him. But it's a $19 million guarantee over four seasons. It's pennies, even for the Red Sox right now. And when that deal was done, was there anybody who said, wow, they really went out on a limb there. That nope. may come back to bite them. Nobody. And even, as you note, in an injury-filled 23 and a disappointing 22, uh, you know, the, the Red Sox are still not losing out on that deal because mm -hmm. the cost of pitching continually goes up. And this was a very affordable deal that at the time, people asked, why would Whitlock do this? Um, and yet he did, and the Red Sox did it because they got a clear win, but it shows that it's hard, again, to keep both sides happy on a deal that is looking five and six years down the road. A lot of talk about Jordan Montgomery, Kenley Jansen, the intersection of those types of things. We kind of talked about that a little bit. We'll run through a few questions that are similar here. I'll just take care of this one now. Alex Mays asks, seen potential rumors of Jansen going to Texas for either Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker. 
Uh, I think at this point, we're looking at Texas as probably less likely of a fit after David Robertson signed there yesterday. So my guess would be that they're out. Um, James Dermody asks, is it still possible the Red Sox are in a Montgomery but are waiting for the right trade of Jansen to clear the money? Pete W., the second part of his question, did winter weekend move the front office into action? What about the Heyman report that the Red Sox could do something big? And Jonathan Morrison asking, do you think the Red Sox trade Jansen and sign Montgomery? Um, I would still say that I believe that there's not a great chance of a Jordan Montgomery signing. The feeling here is that he's waiting for Texas to get their TV deal figured out and wants to go back there. At this point, him, Scott Boris, everybody knows what the Red Sox are willing to do, where they're willing to go. And even though we both think that he would be an excellent fit, it just feels like once the you know rubber hits the road and the bidding starts on that guy in earnest, the Red Sox, with their limitations that are, again, completely self-imposed, will not be there at the end. Maybe they they panic and do it. Maybe they you know look at the fan backlash. I don't buy into that as much as many others. I just don't see it being particularly likely, but I wouldn't rule it 100% out. Yeah, I, I was just going to say I'd give it about 10% chance of happening, and that may be a little generous. Uh, I, it would surprise me if they ended up with Montgomery. Um, you know, we can say that, well, camp's open in two and a half weeks, and some of these guys are going to start getting panicky. I would just submit that there are going to be other teams much better positioned and much more aggressive to step into that void and be there to get uh, what may be a, a, a good deal for them on the market, one that was less than Montgomery might have expected to sign back in October or November. Uh, I, I don't see the Red Sox committing, you know, the four or five years at, I don't know, $25 million a year. You know, th- this is going to be a nine-figure deal mm-hmm. uh, somewhere, and I don't see the Red Sox in position or philosophically ready to extend that kind of offer. Couple of questions about the offense from Joseph Gleason. Why won't they seriously consider re-signing Duval or Turner? And from Frank Prinsky, reports are that Duval will either go to the Red Sox or Angels. I have a bad feeling the Red Sox might not fully pursue Duval using a reasoning that a one-year deal for him would be wasted because they're not contending and they're waiting. That's an interesting point. I think Joseph, uh, they are consider they are pursuing Duval, and I think they do want him back by all reports. Uh, Turner, we've outlined those reasons before. Yeah, uh, the the thing that hurts Turner is that he doesn't have as many opportunities to contribute defensively. We know that from the day he was hired, Craig Breslow has said he would prefer to not have an everyday DH, that he wants someone with positional versatility. And yes, Justin Turner has defensive versatility, but it's not good defensive versatility. He was sub-average at first. He really is not major league caliber at either third or second anymore. And there aren't likely to be a lot of opportunities at those two positions. He can't contribute in the outfield where they could use another righty bat out there to go with the ref Snyder and O'Neill. Who knows? Maybe this would bump ref Snyder off the roster. Um, Duval, meanwhile, is still at least a league average, if not a little better corner outfielder. I don't think he's a center fielder. Uh, of any regard anymore, but he has, as we've noted, does have some first base history in the past. And if they could get him to play 25 games at first to give Casas a break against some tough lefties, that would be a good fit. So that's the reason they're still engaged with Duval, but not on Turner. Zach Gray asking a question that everybody around baseball is asking, why is free agency the way that it is? What are Snell and Montgomery waiting on? I think the answer is two words, Scott Boris. Yeah, I, I mean, Boris is a guy who frequently uh, has his guys sign very late into um, any kind of uh, bidding. Uh, you know, we, we've seen it happen in the past. He is not a panicky guy. He will wait until after camps open if that's what's necessary to get his guy a market value deal. Maybe there's the... Uh, the dreaded pillow contract for one of these guys where they sign with a lot of opt-outs after, uh, you know, early in the deal or even a, right. Even a one-year deal with an option and then go back out on the market after proving themselves further. But uh, Scott Boris has been doing this too long to panic. 
A very similar related question from Josh Nason. Is there anything realistically MLB and the union can do in the coming years to inspire a more active and fun free agency period? Red Sox woes aside, I can't believe how dull this offseason has been. I think the two of us and anybody else who does this for a living looks at it a little selfishly and like, you know, the season's regimented, it's busy, but it's regimented. You kind of know what to expect on any given day. Really for us, between November 1st and now February 15th, you're just kind of at risk of news happening at any time. A quiet period would be good for the old work-life balance, so that's not a problem for some of us who are going to Aruba for the week um, and leaving the podcast to the younger half and, of the duo. And shaky hands. Yeah, yes. Um, I think previously, I correct me if I'm wrong, but you've written about off-season deadlines, dead periods, or had theories toward that end? Yeah, I you know, there are a lot of people that think the absence of a salary cap is a contributor because there's no, you know, in the other sports, it's almost like a game of musical chairs. There's only so many dollars to spend. There are only so many teams where your client is going to land. And that's why those deals get made so quickly in the NBA, the NHL and NFL. I it, I, I was initially skeptical about that theory. But nah, that's not really a factor. How can it not be now when you see how different those three te- those three leagues behave in their free agency period compared to baseball? And what's the obvious uh, distinction between the four? Three of them have a salary cap and one doesn't. So if you're looking for that to speed things up, you got a long wait ahead of you because the union will never, ever, ever agree to a salary cap. So that's not happening. And I think if baseball tried to institute any sort of, uh, well, you know, your your free agents have to sign by December 30th or December 15th or whatever, the union would grieve that, say mm-hmm. it is a unfair labor practice, that it's an example of, you know, violating the antitrust. And I understand that MLB has the antitrust exemption, but there would be some legal grounds on which to challenge it. I'm afraid I don't see an easy uh, fix. I wish there were, because it would be, you know, I can remember uh, that there were times when, when you got to the new year, roster building was 90% done. You'd still have non-roster invitees, smaller deals, some trades in January, but by you got by the time you got to the new calendar year, it was all uh, accounted for. Was there now, was there an off season de- trade deadline at any point while you were covering? No. <clears throat> when did that end? That, there was at some point, right? Uh, well, Dabrowski I mean, there's talks the, about there, it. there's the deadline that goes through, you know, the end of the postseason. I mean, the 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 you know you can't make trades or sign free agents through there. But I don't remember there being. Uh, maybe there was before I started. I don't remember that even the beginning of my career. Dave Dombrowski's talked about it before. He goes way back. So when he comes on, we'll we'll get him to explain it. All right, three questions about the Red Sox pitching pipeline. Rick McShee, there are plenty of free agents unsigned. We haven't heard much about the Sox landing any of them. That's because they're not. Um, Is management really thinking that Andrew Bailey will have more impact on the team than any free agent pitcher or power bat this year? Joe T., Asks, if there's no other additional starters added, or even one, do you guys see Cutter Crawford, Tanner Houck, or any others? Jared Whitlock, Winkowski becoming productive starters. That just seemed like a recipe for a burned-out bullpen. And Bill Crawford asking, is there anyone in the farm system that could help the Red Sox rotation at some point this season? Bill, that question, there is not a lot at AAA. That's, I think, a big part of why they signed Cooper Criswell, Tar Heel. Uh, because he is a guy who has major league experience and will start for the Woo Sox. But, you know, uh, what's happened in the last couple of years is, you know, you've seen a lot of these guys come up. And last year you saw, you know, guys not come up and be starters in the majors. You know, Chris Murphy was good out of the bullpen for a while and then struggled. Brandon Walter looks like a reliever. You know, Seabold's no longer with the organization. And really that that group, that next group is at double A, the two guys on the 40 man and, and Gonzalez and uh, Perales. And also Richard Fitz, who they got in the Yankees trade at double A. So there's not really that line of defense at triple A. I think that hurts them depth wise. Sean, we've talked about this before, but you know, Andrew Bailey, the Andrew Bailey effect, getting the most out of that group of Crawford, Hauk, Whitlock, Winkowski, it does feel like they're banking on a lot from him in that regard. Yeah, there 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 is an expectation that he's gonna make a difference on their internal development, that he's going to 
uh, have the, the, the secret sauce to make guys like Crawford and Hauk and Whitlock and maybe even Winkowski uh, take big steps forward as starters. Um, we've already seen in person that uh, Whitlock has bulked up considerably. You notice it in his upper body, especially maybe that helps him be more durable. He's had a, he's been a guy that uh, has had injuries and certainly last year uh, that was derailed two or three times with trips to the IL cutter Crawford is a guy who has terrific numbers for the first four innings. And then they kind of go off a cliff the minute he's asked to get outs in the fifth, sixth and seventh. So the hope there is that uh, they can have him be more efficient, that they limit his pitch count early, and that he learns how to kind of get through those middle innings and give them six innings more consistently than he does four. Uh, it's a big ask, you know, because it isn't just uh, a, a linear thing where you snap your fingers and all of a sudden Tanner Houck's a 15-game winner but it does reflect the confidence they have. And to point out, it's not just the presence of Andrew Bailey. It's also director of pitching, Justin Willard, that they think is going to have an effect here. Their relationship with Kyle Boddy from, uh, from driveline. Uh, they're hoping with the advanced metrics use there, that there will be some steps forward, but it's asking a lot for guys who have not proven to be consistent major league starters to learn how to do that for 2024. Bill Crawford with another kind of inside baseball, no pun intended question. Does the Red Sox poor performance and building a better team hurt business for you guys in building the Fenway rundown? Well, we sure hope not. Uh, Sean and I were just talking about this actually before we were rolling. And like, you know, I found over the years that, and this is, uh, I'm going to kind of not, it's going to sound like I'm taking a shot at the fans of another team in town that I'm absolutely part of. Red Sox fans tend to be active no matter if things are bad or good or bad because they like celebrating the good times. And if you've ever been on Twitter, you recognize this. They love uh, complaining. And we've seen that a lot in the insider text, obviously. And I think, as I've said a billion times, you have that right. The Red Sox have generally not done their fans uh, well in the last couple of years. Patriots fans, the readership, when they're winning is great. And when they're losing, especially during the Brady era, the few times they lost, nobody read those stories because I wanted to pretend it didn't happen. Red Sox fans a little bit more balanced. I do think, uh, and this will segue into another couple questions, you know, the onus then becomes on us if the team's not competing to change up the coverage. If that means more of a dedication to the minor leagues, if it means this year more of a look at the 2004 championship team 20 years later, which we plan on doing, then that'll be part of it, um, you know. And <laughs> I, I think back to... You know, this is subtle and you might not notice it as a fan or a reader, but in September last year, we were not really going crazy on covering the day-to-day -day of the games. I went to Texas and I can't even really tell you what happened in those games. I remember Bayo got shelled. That's about it. It was about getting features and talking about the future and talking about 2024 already. Um, and so you kind of have to shift the coverage based on what's going on. Yeah. And I would say as it regards this podcast, Chris, uh, frankly, I'm betting that I don't think we have a lot of casual baseball or casual Red Sox fans listening. Uh, doesn't mean that they're not welcome. Uh, maybe they think, uh, maybe there's a feeling that they could, uh, you know, learn something from listening to the podcast from our guests and what they have to say, but yeah, not I, us. I think, I think we have a pretty hardcore listener base that kind of lives and dies with this team mm -hmm. uh lately they've been dying because of how non-competitive the team has been for three of the last four years there's anger there's frustration but there is an apathy and i think that the the kinds of people who are invested enough in following their team that they listen to a podcast two or three times a week are not going to drop off because the team gets off to an eight and 15 start. They're going to be angry. They're want, they're going to want answers. They, they're going to want to know from us what's wrong and how to fix it. But I don't think they're going to disappear. Meanwhile, you know, the, as you correctly point out, I think the Patriots brought in a lot of casual fans with their dominance and their error, their, their six Super Bowl wins. So it became, you know, a, a family thing to do on Sunday afternoon in the fall and winter to watch Patriots games, even if you're not 
a draft nick or you're not into the x's and o weeds um please so take drake more, may pardon me please take drake may that's all i ask um so i i think our listeners tend to be a little more hardcore and they're not about to walk away or at least i hope they're not a couple of questions about the minor league system one thing that we will be covering obviously in depth daryl duguay always appreciate questions from everybody um with the Red Sox taking this turn toward utilizing their internal minor league group, where do can you I, see Mark? Yeah. Can I just point out that you have a trouble with French last names? Okay. What is it? Duguay, like Ron Duguay, the former New York Ranger great. Okay. When did he play? And, and Tebow. Yeah. I, I get Tebow. Tebow. He's coming up. Not that when, hard. When did this Ron fellow play for the Rangers? This Ron fellow played prior to your birth, which I okay, know you're what not year? responsible for. Yeah, what year? Seventies uh, and eighties. Okay, yeah, yeah. Shoot me for that. Um, uh, he's Darryl also du- dating the uh, a former vice presidential nominee, so he's been in the news in the last couple of years. Okay, um, not on Mass Live Red Sox page. Where do you guys see Marcelo Meyer fitting in? Story signed for another four years. Does this seem like a situation where it's a good problem to have if everybody's producing? We'll get to that. And then William Taylor asking, as a Red Sox fan living in Central Connecticut, am I crazy for being more excited to see the Sea Dogs coming to Hartford than I am about the prospect of spending a bunch of money and time going to Fenway? No, because the Sea Dogs are going to have all three of the big three early in the year. The Sea Dogs are going to be a wagon. Yep. Uh, you're gonna see the you're gonna see the big three at least for the first couple of months. My, My uh excuse me, my, my expectation would be that Meyer will not be long in Portland, that essentially once he shows that the shoulder is not an issue and has some success at AA, he will be on the fast track to Worcester. It wouldn't surprise me if he were there by June 1st. Uh, Teal and Anthony, because of their age and the fact that they did not get to AA until late in last year. We'll probably be there for longer. I don't mean the whole year, but probably closer to midseason before they get a bump up. But particularly in the cold uh, New England months of April and May, I think you're going to see plenty of opportunities to see the three best prospects the Red Sox have traveling and being home in Portland. The next couple of questions, they both reference uh... – Tampa Bay, small market, Tampa Bay by the Charles, things like that. Uh, the names are e. not Shaughnessy of Newton yes. asks. <laughs> the names are not Dan Shaughnessy, but maybe they're burners from J- Jim VH about this is actually a positive comment on Tampa about Tampa Bay and their magic on getting max production from pitchers. How do they do this? And why wasn't Bloom able to do the same here? And Rich Lyons says this isn't Tampa Bay. As David Ortiz would say, this is blank Boston. When will the Red Sox either sell the team to owners who have the passion to win again? When will they start treating it like a big market team again? Rich, your question's a great one, and that's the overriding one, I think. You know, and uh, I think that's the one a lot of fans are asking right now. Doug Radcliffe, uh, who uh, likes to chime in time to time, says, first question I keep asking myself and everybody else, why am I going to watch 162 te- games of this piece of garbage team? Uh, that is, it's, that's a question I think some are asking as well. But just big picture getting back to spending do you trust them when they say they will at some point yeah i i think it will be back as they uh get closer to being a playoff contender um that that may be frustrating for fans to hear now that they want to uh as we've advocated there'd be nothing wrong with spending at least a little more to try to get into the mid 80s and take a step forward. They're apparently not willing to do that. They're content to see what kind of further development they get from their core of young guys like Raffaella and Abreu and Grissom and some of the younger pitchers, guys that maybe aren't uh, considered prospects anymore, but guys like Hauk and Whitlock who are in their mid to late 20s and still have growth coming. Um, I do believe they will be back to spending at some point. As to the suggestion a minute ago, selling the team that clearly is not on the table they can't say no to that question fast enough when it comes up john henry in an email exchange with me last february asked when has fsg ever sold anything it's a worthwhile question to ponder the answer of course is they haven't everything they bought um uh, with the, I guess the exception of the Salem Red Sox, which was obviously a smaller investment, uh, the uh, the low the low A 
a minor league affiliate they once owned and have sold that off, but that's not a big part of their portfolio in the way that Liverpool and the Penguins and Roush Racing and now their golf investments, the rumors of them having an interest in an NBA expansion franchise in Las Vegas, uh, they are collecting, they are not shedding, and I don't think there is any Red Sox sale on the immediate future, I would extend that for a number of years. I don't see it happening. And on the Tampa Bay pitching question, you know, they just, I think, have a scouting infrastructure and analytic department that identifies diamonds in the rough from organization, unlike any other. And they find ways, you know, the hope was that Heim would do that. You know, I think that there were times where he did on the margins come up with some good pieces. You know, Christian Arroyo, a guy who just signed with Milwaukee yesterday was one. I know he's not a pitcher. Um, you know, but guys like Phillips Valdez or Brendan Bernardino or some of these guys that they got a lot out of, but you know, in general, yeah, it just, it just wasn't there pitching wise to the level that Tampa Bay has been able to do it. And I think a lot of that, you know, to be fair, there were a couple, you know, uh, Schreiber would fit in that category. Yeah. Uh, when Kowski part of a trade, um, has has been a good acquisition. Whitlock, obviously the big one that we're forgetting. Right. And, but nobody who has done it as a successful major league starter yet. And this is something that Chris Smith has talked about recently and written about and is working on. They have not really drafted pitchers in the top part of the draft. And that kind of rears its ugly head at some point when you are drafting all these shortstops and all these position players, it's no surprise that at a certain point that's going to come to a head. And, you know, I'm starting to think this theory, the Angels a couple years ago drafted 20 pitchers to restock their minor league system. I wouldn't be shocked to see the Red Sox do the same thing, or maybe 18 to 2. Like, they should, and it would help the farm system a lot. Yeah, well, and we should point out that, um, you know, maybe this is by default, but the top starting pitcher prospects long-term in the organization are all international free agent guys, right? Gonzalez, uh, Perales. Those are both international free agents. Maybe they have found something uh, in their scouting and development process that they think that international guys are are better risks uh, for whatever reason than drafting uh, American high school and college pitchers. It they is hate, they hate they hate American high school pitchers. That's for sure. Yeah, they, yeah. I can't remember the last one of those of any Trey ball. significance. Trey huh? ball. Trey ball. Well, that, that that's 10 years ago. I, yeah, I exactly. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Well, that, you know, can't we say that that was just a bad miss and a bad call? Jay Groom. I think that scared them permanently on those. You know, Maybe. like those are the guys that stick out. Ask, you know, to answer your question, we're looking at, you know, Sox prospects rankings. And again, like three of the top 19 are pitchers, which is startling. Um, but if you look at them, you know, Gonzalez, number nine, international free agent. Perales is number seven, international free agent. Fitz was a draft pick but by the Yankees acquired in a trade. To get to the first pitcher the Red Sox drafted, you got to go to number 23, Hunter Dobbins, who um, has kind of risen up prospect charts and was an eighth rounder out of Texas Tech in 2021. So your yeah. top 22 prospects are not dra- pitchers you've drafted. I think it's, it's pretty crazy to think that way. Yep. The uh, last few questions as we dig in here, a couple on Rafael Devers from John McSheffrey. Simple baseball question. What's your expectation for Devers from the eye test? He seemed to only have a halfway decent year looking at the stats he held his own in comparison to previous years. And Nick B asking why Devers and several of the other star players chose not to attend winter weekend. We don't have an answer on that. Um, And, you know, obviously travel comes into play. Like we've talked about Devers, Yoshida, obviously some of these other guys, Jansen. Um, Yeah. I mean, so, it, you know, it's a I, I don't know if it was strictly a travel slash inconvenience issue flying up from the Dominican. To be truthful, there were other players that were able to do that, um, that that were, you know, or at least from the Caribbean who made it there. Rafaela, uh, some others. So I, I don't know what maybe there was a commitment on the part of Devers that he couldn't make. It, 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 you know, to me, it spoke volumes and whatever the reasons are, and we're not judging but, you know, the two marquee guys that it seems like you want you want to show off at your fan festival are your best player, Devers, and your only real significant offseason acquisition, Lucas Giolito. Neither of the two were there. I found that odd for a team trying to promote its upcoming season 
that they would not take greater effort to get either of those two. And again, we don't know what's going on in the players' lives. Mm-hmm. Maybe a family thing. Yeah, Who it's knows? not. It's not an individual criticism. It's just a weird thing that yeah, happened. It, it was. It, it, it's a weird appearance or or lack of appearance. And I'll take John's question because I wrote about this today and recapping my 2023 predictions. Completely accurate. The Devers, if you watched him every day, compl- like looked lost at the plate. But you look at the OPS, you look at the run, run production, 100 RBIs, you know, over 30 homers, all that type of stuff. And I think it says to me offensively, if that's his floor, then he is the superstar that you know we think he is. I think defensively, no question he took a step back. He got better down the stretch. That's something they're going to need to work with. You know, Carlos Fayblaze and his methods are out. Maybe that makes a difference. Maybe they'll task Andrew Bailey with improving uh, Rafi's defense to add it to the very long list. He's being asked to do everything else. Why not that too? Yeah. Andrew Flanagan, assuming our young talent takes a major step forward next season and ownership decides to spend, how does next year's free agent crop look? Sorry, we have to look that far ahead. You know, Soto is obviously the guy who's going to be this this next year's Otani. Um, the Red Sox, as we've talked about, have a lot of young outfield talent. They expect Anthony to be a star. Rafaela, Abreu, Duran, all in the mix there. So to me, he doesn't make the most sense. Uh, but the pitching is a different story. It's a loaded class on that front. According to the list I'm looking at right now, Zach Wheeler, Burns, Max Freed, Scherzer, Woodruff, Bieber, Bueller, the list goes on and on. Uh, how about one more name? How about one more name? Roki Sasaki. Right. The mm-hmm. Japanese sensation who is even more highly regarded than um than uh Yamamoto. Yamamoto. Um so whether he's able to uh extract himself from uh, his Japanese team, which does not want to post him yet. He is not yet eligible for Japanese free agency. He would need to convince his team to post him, but that is going to set off whenever it happens, a massive uh, bidding war, even greater than the one we just saw won by the Dodgers. Who knows at this time next year, whether the Red Sox feel it's go time and that they're going to be in on a pitcher of that regard with more aggressiveness than they did this past winter, we'll see. But that's kind of a pipe dream name that's out there that would elevate the pitching class considerably. Yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of extensions, you know, the Braves are always a risk to do it with Freed. Scherzer's probably too old to do that. Woodruff's a free agent now. I shouldn't have mentioned him. You know, and it doesn't look like Cleveland's going to extend Bieber or Milwaukee's going to extend Burns. Zach Wheeler's a guy I think is just like, criminally underrated and very very good i know he's getting older but if he's a free agent the red sox should try to get him a couple more questions here uh from peter drum roll please tebow got it right as my boss that deserves a raise um are they going to really rely on dalbeck to back up devers and casas i've said this before i've said it again I can't imagine that they actually do that. I think they want Duvall to step in and play a little bit of first. You can have Pablo Reyes back him up at third. Maybe Pablo Reyes plays a little bit of first here and there. Another name I've started to hear, maybe as a backup option, Garrett Cooper as a right-handed first baseman. I just I can't imagine them possibly doing the Dahlbeck thing again. I don't think I need to really get into it, but you know, it's just it's it's it it's time for him to move on or it's time for them. to move I, on I think so too. And yet I had him on my initial uh, roster projection this morning as part of my MLB notebook, shameless plug. Also the five most likely destinations. If Alex Cora leaves town a year from now, Good um, reminder for me to retweet that when we get off. Uh, yeah. I, I think that Dahlbeck can't be counted out because um, he provides a right-handed bat. Uh, you're not expecting him to be an everyday player. Uh, he's a righty power bat off the bench. He can play both corner infield positions where they need some backup. He can also, as we saw in Worcester last year, contribute in the outfield. And to be clear, I am not expecting a switch to flip and for Bobby Dahlbeck to all of a sudden figure it out, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But as the 26th guy on the roster, the 13th position player, wouldn't shock me at all if he's on the opening day roster. Do I expect him to be a huge contributor? No. Do I expect him to be on the roster all year long? Probably not. Could be gone in a matter of weeks, as happened last year, but I don't think you can rule him out for opening day. He could also be the starting shortstop within three weeks, as happened last year, too. Last Ooh. couple from Tom Ritchie and Michael Ferrante. 
couple questions about Jordan Montgomery. Is he worth 125 to 150 million? And Tom, with this, do we think there will be any more additions? I have no expectations for the higher end pricey guys and Montgomery Sneller Bellinger probably isn't worth it. My guess is just Duvall for one for 10. My roster projection I did almost a month ago now still looks like it could be pretty accurate, even though I did have them signing Paxton. I think they'll sign somebody like Lorenzen or Ryu and somebody like Duvall and still be looking for that controllable starter, maybe somebody from Miami. Um, that would be my guess. Still, I, I think, you know, the payroll questions are legit, and I still think they do trade Jansen. Um, but I, I don't think they're done. It has been a month since a major league move. You know, it's uh, the Chris Sale trade was December 30th, so we're looking at a month of complete, you know, status quo for the Red Sox. And, and though the market has moved slowly, like you look at some of the things that have happened, the trade market's still dead, but as we talked about, the markets are starting to move a little bit in terms of free agents. You look at the guys who have come off the board in the last couple of weeks, you know, not just Hayter and Stevenson and Robertson, but obviously Imanaga signed, Stroman signed, um, Tay Oscar, uh, you know, some of these pieces, Jordan Hicks. There's not too much left beyond that big four. You know, if you look at obviously Snell, Montgomery, Chapman, um, and Bellinger, you know, Soler is still out there. And then, uh, there's not much after that. So I would guess it's more smaller additions. Like we've been saying all along. Um, and I, I bet based on the coverage, you agree with that too. I, I do. I mean, you know, they I think if they do anything more between now and either the reporting date for pitchers and catchers, which was just two and a half weeks away at this point, or even deeper into February, unless something falls out of the sky, uh, I would think it would be a smaller move, a back-end veteran starter, a righty bat that can help out at DH, but nothing that's going to change uh, you know, what people expect of the Red Sox in 2024. That's the Fenway Rundown for today. Again, we appreciate all the texts that came in with the questions, almost 30 of them on our insider text mailbag. Sean's going to be off next week in Aruba. Do not bother him. I've been told not to. Not really, but I've been told pretty much not to. That's, un that's unstated. Yeah, and um, I will be back with the Fenway Rundown. We're going to take a very interesting look across the pond early next week. Then a little tease there and hopefully get Woody. three more episodes for you there. And Sean, one yes. more time, plug the Insider Text program for us. Text the word join to 617-751-6257, 617-751-6257. Click on the link to get a free 14-day trial. After that, pony up $4.99 a month, and it'll be the best money you ever spent under 5 bucks. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.